Hey, I, uh, I did a wedding. Um, it was last summer, and uh, I've done a number of weddings, but at the end of this wedding, the couple did something uh, as a part of the ceremony that I had never experienced before. And again, having done a number of weddings, I, I can say that I've seen a little bit of everything in every wedding ceremony, uh, but this was different. Uh, at, at the very end of the ceremony, the couple went outside the door, the crowd gathered, and they released doves. All right, now, have any of you ever been a part of anything like this, whether it be at a wedding or uh, maybe as a part of a, of a funeral or some type of memorial or something? But I don't know if you realize this or not, but you can actually hire a professional company to send a handler to your wedding, and they'll release these doves for you. And what they'll do is they typically br bring these doves in a basket. And again, what happens? What happened in this particular wedding is afterwards, a couple went outside, everyone kind of gathered around the getaway car. And the couple, they, they lifted the lid on this basket, and these doves went up in the air, and, and they flew around for a little bit. And I, I was absolutely fascinated by it. And uh, I, I remember um, the, when the professional handler arrived before the couple made it outside, I actually had some time just to kind of chit-chat with this guy, and I wanted to learn a little bit more about him, uh, but also in how all of this works. And so we were just kind of talking, and I said, hey, what happens after you release these birds, they go up in the air a little bit? I mean, you know, what happens next? I mean, do you kind of like whistle and they come back, or, you know, do they, do they circle around a couple times and come land? on your shoulder or something for everybody, and I don't know if he appreciated the humor or not, but, but he just said, no, here's what happened. They, they'll fly home. Like, they'll, they'll circle the building a couple of times for everyone to see, and then they're going to take off. They're programmed to fly home, and I was like, what do you mean they fly home? Like, again, I, I, I just, I couldn't get my mind around this, and he said, no, that's what they'll do. They're just instinctively trained. They're, they're trained to fly home. They're, they're going to go where their food is. They're going to go where, where they sleep. Uh, they're going to take off and fly home, and I was like, well, well, where's home? And he's like, well, I live just a few minutes from downtown Indianapolis. In fact, the birds will beat me home, and Again, I, I just couldn't get over this. In fact, it became my talking point in every conversation for the next few weeks after. I mean, everyone got tired of hearing about these doves and how I just couldn't stop about the fact that they are programmed to fly home. Now, how many of you would say that you're really good with directions? All right, how many of you in the room? Okay, you, you can find your way around. Uh, how many of you would say that you are so bad at directions that there's a chance you might get lost on the way home today. I mean, there's always that possibility of taking the wrong turn, right? Well, they've created devices for this. You know, we call them GPS devices, and if you have one, you kind of know how they work. If you've purchased one before, uh, you know that even before you leave the store that some of them have these built-in devices where you program in your home setting. Uh, you know, right from the beginning, you, you put your address in there, and so you, if you're out, uh, if you've gone somewhere and you're a little concerned about getting back home, you can hit the home button and the GPS will guide you in how to get back home. And you know, um, whether you're good at directions or not, I think in one way or another, we're all programmed to go home. And uh, for example, if you've ever gone off to college, you know, maybe you were really, really excited to get out of the house, to get out from underneath mom and dad and get off to school. But if you've ever gone off to college, you know that it doesn't take long before you start appreciating mom's cooking uh, like you never have before. And so you're always looking ahead to the next long weekend or to the next break because there's just so much in you that can't wait to go home. Or if you travel for a living, 
And if you do that, you know it can be fun, but more than you like, you run into these conversations where, you know, you'll tell people, yeah, I'm traveling to such and such city this weekend, and they'll say things like, wow, it must be really nice to travel all over the country all the time. And maybe it's fun once in a while, but if you do it for a living, if you do it a lot, you know that there's nothing quite like going home. Well, today, as we continue with chapter 19 in the story, uh, we see the people of Israel who are far from home, and they're exiles living in this place called Babylon. Now, we tend to overlook or forget the fact, uh, the part about them being in exile and how hard it must have been to live that far from home because to, to be in exile means living in a foreign place against your will and, and, well, think about it. I mean, think about if that were you and what that would mean for you and for your family uh, and, and you were forced to live somewhere that you didn't want to be. And here's why that's important for us today, because much like these exiles here in the Old Testament, as followers of Jesus Christ, we're living as exiles in a world that's not our home. In fact, if you call yourself a follower of Jesus and you ever get discouraged in your life, well, some of that discouragement comes from the fact that you're living in a place that you're living as an exile in this world. We weren't made for this world. I mean, this isn't our permanent home. I mean, we're here, as the Bible says, as Christ's ambassadors, and an ambassador represents someone else in a foreign place, and that's what we do as Christians. That's what we do as followers of Jesus. I mean, and, and there's some discontent that's always there that at times comes with that, but the good news is that if you've put your trust, if you've put your faith in Jesus Christ, and you keep living your life in such a way to, dis to discover that purpose for your life more and more, then one day uh, you can look forward, you can finally, uh, you can have this confidence that one day you will finally be at home with the Lord in heaven once and for all, and it'll be perfect, and the Bible says that there'll be no more tears, and there'll be no more pain or suffering or sorrow or discontent, but for now, we're here as exiles on this earth. And today we're looking at an entire nation of people living in Babylon, in exile in Babylon. And at the very end of chapter 18, if you remember from last week, if you read this for yourself, the Babylonian empire was invaded and taken over by a greater empire at the time known as the Persians. And what we're going to do is we're going to pick up this story here in 539 BC as this new king of Persia, a man named Cyrus, does something that's totally unexpected. Uh, in 2 Chronicles chapter 36, beginning in verse 22, uh, we've got it for you here on the screens. It says, in the first year of Cyrus, king of Persia, in order to fulfill the word of the Lord spoken by Jeremiah, the Lord moved the heart of Cyrus, king of Persia, to make a proclamation throughout his realm and also put in writing. And here's that, that proclamation. This is what Cyrus, king of Persia, says. The Lord, the God of heaven, has given me all of the kingdoms of the earth, and he has appointed me to build a temple for him at Jerusalem in Judah. Any of his people among you may go up and may the Lord their God be with them. Now, you might remember studying Cyrus in history class, but he was often known as Cyrus the Great, this great warrior. And what happened is that once Cyrus took control of Babylon with this Persian empire, he decided the best way to lead his empire was to let each culture, each tribe, and each nation return to its own religion, its own land, and its own customs. 
And when he came to Babylon, he noticed actually two groups of people that were living in Babylon at the time. We have the Babylonians and this Jewish remnant, people like Daniel and Hananiah and Mishael and Azariah. And so what Cyrus declares is he decides to allow these Jewish people, the people of Israel, to return to their home. Now, this is an amazing turn of events. All right, and most wouldn't have expected this because this Jewish remnant has been living in Israel or in Babylon for 25 years, and now all of a sudden they're free. And and Cyrus didn't just kick them out of the door either. I mean, what he did is he also told his people to provide for them with with things like gold and silver and goods and, and livestock that would be needed for their return trip home, but also so that when they arrived home, they would be able to go to work in rebuilding the temple of their God because this temple had been destroyed and was lying in ruins in Jerusalem. Now, that's an important detail and really something so important for us to see today because the people of God wouldn't have been able to say that they were home or that it was truly home until this temple of God, God's home, had been rebuilt. Because remember, we're still talking about the Old Testament. And because we're in the Old Testament, it means that Jesus hasn't come on the scene yet. And there is no God in the flesh walking on the earth. I mean, no Pentecost yet means no dwelling of the Holy Spirit in the people. God's presence was represented by the temple. And without the temple, I mean, where do priests go to communicate to God? Without the temple, where do the people of God go to gather to worship, to encourage one another, and to seek forgiveness for their sins? There was no place. And so for the nation of Israel, the temple was a visible reminder that God wants to be with His people. And God's desire was to be with them on the earth. And when you think about it, you know, the temple really is this foreshadowing of what is to come with Jesus Christ. And the plan for the temple wasn't to put it on some high up mountain that was far away from all the people, but to put it right smack dab in the center of Israel, in the center of Jerusalem, so that anyone that might walk past this temple, they would just kind of see it, and the message that they would get would be something like this, that God wants to be right here with you. He wants to have His presence established with the people. And and so the nation of Israel is free. They've got all of these resources now. Cyrus has set them free, and they're ready to take this 900-mile journey back to Jerusalem. They estimate somewhere around 50,000 people in all. And, and, and before long, they well, it probably took a while, but, but they get home, and they get right to work on reconstructing the temple as they were commanded to do. And let's just say that they were so zealous in it. They were so motivated And you know how it is when you get started on a new project, I mean, something that you're excited about, maybe something that will update your home, and and you want to see it through to the end, right? Uh, We, uh, for example, I I stained my deck uh, over the last month, and it really took a month because at the beginning of July, with all of the rain and everything, and I've got to tell you, if you've ever stained a, desk, a deck before, uh, you know that it is a very tedious project. Um, in fact, I'd put it right up there with wallpaper removal. Uh, in fact, two projects ordained by Satan himself, uh, in my opinion. Uh, but Jenny and Joel both helped me, and even with all the rain and waiting for everything to dry out again, we finally stained the deck, and that's all the boards, the rails, everything and all. But I can't say uh, that my follow-through on every project uh, is the same. For example, uh, we moved into our home about five years ago, 
And before we moved into the house, we had the flooring replaced uh, in the master bathroom. And because of that, they had to pop the trim, and then when they put it back on, they had to put some new trim around it. Well, in those first few weeks, uh, before we moved into the house, we painted everything, like every square inch. We painted the ceilings, the closets, all the walls, and everything, except for that trim in the master bathroom, and now five years later, I, I still have, I, I haven't painted that trim, and my wife likes to remind me of that once in a while. She likes to just kind of throw it in my face that, you know, you've done everything else, but we just can't seem to paint that trim. I mean, I, I, how many of you are really good at starting home projects, but maybe not finishing them? Anyone here? Wives, you can vote for your husbands too if they're not putting up their hand. Like, you can think about those projects that you've got around the house. Well, that's what's going to happen with these people in Jerusalem. I mean, they rolled up their sleeves. They got right to work on the temple. It's their highest priority. And if you go on to read in Ezra chapter 3, it says the people assembled as one in Jerusalem. And I just love that saying, that there was unity amongst God's people. And I hope that people will always say that about Genesis Church too, and our unity with one another, because God loves unity, and the enemy is all about disunity and so these people in Jerusalem all had this unity, one in purpose, but the Bible goes on to say that there were dissenters, that there were, one, there, there were those who came along that just wanted to cause trouble, they didn't like seeing these things that were happening, and so there were people that came along and they tried to distract Israel from its purpose and from its work, and, and for a while the people of Israel, they stayed on task, they made God's priority their priority, but guess what happened? I mean, you know what happened. Over time, they just kind of sort of lost their motivation. I mean, they lost focus, and they stopped the work on the temple, and they started moving on to other personal projects instead, and who knows why. I mean, maybe they got physically tired. I mean, there was a lot of physical work attached with this reconstruction project. I'm sure that some of them got tired of hearing the daily taunts and jeers from the, the peanut gallery that had gathered to, you know, to, to discourage them. And, and it's possible then that some quit out of intimidation, but more likely than not, I think they got distracted. And, and like we talked about a couple of weeks ago, I mean, we're just, we're just prone to wander away. And well, has that ever happened to you? I mean, maybe like you start a project, maybe a home project, and you've got all of these right intentions, but eventually you just lost your motivation. Or it's like when you make a commitment to get healthy, and maybe at the beginning of this year you, you establish a New Year's resolution, I'm going to get healthy, I'm going to eat right, and I'm going to exercise, but over time you just, you just kind of quit making the effort. Or maybe you're going back to college. Uh, in a few weeks, and, and you're returning for another year, and you've decided this year, you know, this year's going to be different. I, I'm living for God, no parties for me, I'm staying on track, but, but what happens? I mean, in your mind, you may even already know that that first weekend back, and you're going to hear about that first big party on campus, and in that moment, and it's not like classes have started yet either anyways, I mean, but if you're not careful, before you know it, it's going to get easy to just simply be distracted or you know, maybe you and your family, you're here on a, on a Sunday, and it's a great Sunday, and like the worship is kicking, and you know, I mean, you know, the message is just kind of spot on for you, and so you drive home with your family, and you've got all of this new energy and this new passion. You're like, hey, we're not missing anymore. We're going to be there every week, but then football season starts, right? And uh, because football starts, all of a sudden, making a Sunday service means, well, missing five hours of pregame on Sunday morning, and if you miss that pregame, I mean, how are you going to know which, you know, fantasy running back to start, you know, and so you can just, 
see how easy it is to get distracted. And I'm guessing that the people of Israel didn't intend on abandoning their work forever. You know, I like to think that each person probably planned to get back to it a week later or a month later. I mean, can you just hear them say, hey, I just need a month off. I just need a little time off from the work. But eventually, no one was working on the temple, and God's work became second to everything. And before long, one year passed, and then two, and then five, and then ten. Sixteen years went by, and the temple went untouched, and weeds grew, and the temple really became this metaphor for their misplaced faith. I mean, think about it. Sixteen years is a really long time. I mean, it's enough time for every visitor that goes walking through Jerusalem to walk by this so-called work in progress and think, well, they must not be that serious about their God. Or even more importantly, it was enough time for a whole generation of kids to grow up thinking, well, our parents don't care about God, so why is it such a big deal for me? And what an important reminder right there for you and me as parents, you know? And even if you're taking notes to write this down, that what you do speaks a lot louder than what you say. You know, that as we raise our children, they may or may not listen to everything we say, but I guarantee you they'll watch what we do. And by neglecting the temple, the people of Israel were sending a message, and it was the wrong message. I mean, even if they didn't mean to, it was a message that everyone who walked by the temple heard loud and clear, and it was a message that went like this. Well, my priorities are going to be higher than God's priorities. My priorities are higher than God's priorities. And let me just ask you today, let me just stop there for a moment and ask this. What message is your life sending right now Uh, to your family, uh, to your kids, uh, to the people around you? I mean, you may not realize it, and, and you wouldn't say that it's in your intent, but is your life sending the same message too, that my priorities are higher than my God's priorities? And whether you choose to believe it or not, in some area of your life, you've got influence. I mean, you've got influence with others more than you know. There are people that watch what you do, uh, and and they're listening to what you say. And if you're a parent, you better believe that you've got this sort of influence with your kids. They watch what you do. I mean, if you're a leader, a a boss, a manager, a supervisor at work, you've got influence. Uh, You've got people that are watching what you do. If you're an aunt, Uh, or an uncle, maybe an older brother or sister, Uh, maybe as a grandparent, you're a primary caretaker uh, for your grandkids. Uh, Because of that, you've got influence. Uh, If you're a doctor, a lawyer, uh, a teacher, and I know that many teachers went back to school this week here in Noblesville and others over the next couple of weeks, Uh, if you're a counselor or a coach, you have influence. If you're a volunteer, you have influence. If you're a Christian, If you would say that you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you better believe that you have influence and people are watching you. And they're watching and looking for your actions more than what you say. And they're looking at what you do and how you live your life and how you treat your spouse and your kids. And so let me ask you, what message is your life sending right now? Will people look at your life and say, I mean, there is no doubt about it. They're living for God. God's priorities are higher than their priorities. Or... Are you sending a message right now that says, at least right now in this season, my priorities are greater than God's? You know, I talked to you um, 
uh, before the offering, before the video about how we have some incredible opportunities for people to serve right now here at Genesis. And I'll, I'll be honest with you, I think one of the greatest barriers in, in people at least starting uh, in serving isn't so much that they don't want to, it's just, it's just that we're busy. And we've got all these things that are going on and all these other priorities. And I'm not saying that there aren't other important priorities, but God, I do believe that God has gifted every single one of us to serve, every single one of us, and He has given you gifts and skills and passions and abilities to use uh, to build His church. Uh, and if you're not serving, and if you're not using your gifts to serve in God's church, then you're missing out on what He created you to do. And that can lead to discontentment in your life and in my life probably more than we realize. And even more than that, it can send a, me a message about priorities and about what is important to you. And I guess I'm just saying that maybe the message you're sending right now isn't the message you want to send. And in the case of Israel, you know, even after 16 years of neglect, God sends another prophet, another messenger to warn the people. Look at Haggai uh, chapter 1, uh, starting in verse 4. Uh, it says, is, is it a time for you yourselves to be living in your panel houses? All right, this is what Haggai comes to say to these people who have taken a 16-year smoke break, all right, you know. Uh, he says, while this house remains a ruin, now this is what the Lord Almighty says, give careful thought to your ways. You have planted much but harvested little. You eat but never have enough. You drink but never have your fill. You put on clothes but are not warm. You earn wages only to give them in a purse with holes in it, only to put them in a purse with holes in it. This is what the Lord Almighty says. Give careful thought to your ways. Go up into the mountains and bring down timber and build my house so that I may take pleasure in it and be honored, says the Lord. You expected much, but see, it turned out to be little. What you brought home, I blew away. Why, declares the Lord Almighty? because of my house, which remains a ruin, while each of you is busy with your own house. Ouch, right? Like if you're living in that day, pretty convicting. Haggai says, you know, this is what happens when we treat God's mission, His desire for us as followers as an option. And it's pretty clear in this passage that God brought trouble into their lives because they weren't focused on His priorities first. They weren't doing the work on the temple, and the same thing can happen to us too, because if we put our priorities before God's priorities, it, it can feel much the same way that we're just spinning our wheels. And for 16 years, Israel was spinning its wheels, and they're going around in circles, and they're sending the wrong message to their kids and to the people around them, and they were back at home in Israel, but nothing in their hearts had really changed. I mean, they changed their address, but not their situation. And you know what that can feel like. I mean, do you ever feel like something in your life is missing? There's just some sort of gap or hole, and, and so because of it, you move into a new house, or you pick out a new apartment, or a new neighborhood. I mean, you try changing your surroundings with the hope that it will deliver for you in some way, or you try this, or you try that, or we buy this, or we buy that, or we add another hobby, and we try everything, and all the time, God just keeps saying, hey, I just want to be at the center. I got, I want to be at the center of your life. I want to be the first priority in your life. I mean, the, this fulfillment that you're looking for will only be found in me. I mean, see, the problem for people in Israel is that while they were free from their captors, they still weren't free. Because true freedom comes only through Jesus Christ. And true freedom is found when you put God first in your life. And when God isn't first in your life, 
Well, you can just see how easy it is to be nothing more than miserable exiles. It's like we're forced to live in a place that we don't really want to live. And it doesn't have to be like that. I mean, that's the good news that, and I believe that following Jesus should be the most rewarding, most joy-filled life on the planet because it means that God has a purpose and a plan for your life and He wants to use us and He has us here as exiles so that we can make a difference. And the key is, the key is everything that we've been talking about all year long. The key is living for God. It's establishing, it's making certain that He is the first priority in your life in anything and in everything and in each situation. It's recognizing too the part that we've been called to play. And for these people in Jerusalem, I mean, they were called to build the temple, and do you know what? Our mission isn't really that much different. In fact, you could go as far to say that God has called us, every single one of us, to be temple builders too. And as His representatives, as His people here on this earth, we are called to represent Christ in this world. We've been given the responsibility of bringing the presence of Jesus Christ into this world into every situation that we walk into. And and how do you do that? I mean, what does it mean for you and me to see ourselves as modern-day temple builders, if you would? Well, I want to take just a few minutes real quick and and identify at least three traits that you can be thinking about as you leave here today and asking, what does this mean for my life and how might this change the way that I live? The first thing quickly is this. We need to practice the presence of God as His people in anything and everything. It's about realizing that God is always here and He is always present. And in ancient times, you know, the temple represented God's presence on earth, but we don't have to go to the temple anymore. I mean, sacrifices are no longer necessary. And why? Because God had a plan. And in His infinite wisdom and awesome power, He decided that it wasn't enough for His presence to be limited by a temple. And so what He did was He sent His Son, Jesus Christ, to this earth. The incarnation Himself who came to this earth and lived amongst us, and he, he carried the burdens of all of the sin of this world, all of the pain of this world. He carried it to the cross, and, and he died on that cross, and he was buried in the grave, but it couldn't contain him. I mean, it couldn't hold him back. And, and from there, he rose from the dead, and the Bible says that he walked amongst the people, and he showed up at dinner parties, and, and then these larger gatherings with literally hundreds of people. And again, it's all recorded for us in the Bible, but then something happened after Jesus ascended into heaven. You know, God didn't leave us to fend for ourselves, but what he did was that God sent his Holy Spirit for us. I mean, the Bible refers to him as a comforter and as a guide, and now the Holy Spirit is available to everyone who puts their trust in Jesus Christ. And so in a way, you can say that God doesn't just simply live amongst us anymore, but he lives in us. He lives in me. And if you believe in Jesus Christ, you can have that confidence too. It's why Paul writes in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, don't you know that your body now is the temple of the Holy Spirit? That your body is the temple of God Himself, that God lives in you, and one of the greatest gifts that you can give to your life, and one of the greatest gifts that you can give to your kids and to the people around you is this constant daily reminder that God is in you, that He walks with you each day, and that life is all about practicing His presence And that's why it even gets greater and more special when we come together as His people and as His church and we worship together and we pray together and we participate in communion together and we get into a connection group together. It's about practicing God's presence every day. Modern day temple builders, 
what we've been called to. It's about bringing God's presence and His hope into this earth, and we do that through practicing His presence. The second thing is that we need to practice godly prayer. You know, in the ancient days of Israel, before Jesus came, people couldn't go directly to God in prayer. They had to go to a priest, and that priest would go before God with their prayers. And in the center of the temple, there was this place called the Most Holy Place, or the Holy of Holies, and no one could ever enter that place except the high priest, and he could only go in there one day a year. And so he, he would go into this place one day a year, and he would take these prayers of the people. And in fact, people were so afraid uh, of him going into this place that they would, and this is no joke, they would tie a rope around his ankle so that if he died while he was in there, they could just drag him out. I mean, there was, you know, no one wanted to go into this place, and they were commanded not to do that. Well, the Bible goes on to tell us, and uh, if you know the story for yourself, that even though at this time that people were never able to directly pray to God, it wasn't like that forever. Uh, that there was this fabric in the temple that was four inches thick, and it represented this separation between God and people. But when Jesus died, Scripture tells us that the veil was torn in two, and God did that as a way of demonstrating that we would know that through Christ, we now, you and I, have direct access to God. I mean, you could say that Jesus was literally dying for you to come into the presence of the Father. He wanted you and me to be able to personally worship Him and to pray to Him and be close to Him. And it's why we can read and embrace the words of Hebrews 10, verse 19, when it says, Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence now to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way open for us through the curtain that is His body, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and with full assurance that faith brings, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and have our, having our bodies washed with pure water. That you and I, we can now have this confidence that we can go directly to God with our prayers, and that's what modern-day temple builders do. That's what I'm encouraging you to do today. As we bring the presence of God, His message of hope to this earth, we practice that through, you know, practicing God's daily presence, practicing prayer confidently. And the last thing is practicing God's priorities in every part of our life. You know, what you do with your time, your talents, and your financial resources says far more about your love for God than anything else. And as I heard someone say one time, you know, show me your checkbook and show me your personal calendar, and I'll, I'll tell you what your priorities are. The people of Israel grew more concerned about their own projects and priorities over God's, and as a result, the temple suffered because of it. I mean, they invested their money into their own houses uh, instead of God's house. They invested their own time into their own homes instead of God's house. And, well, how about you? How are you doing in this area of your life right now? Is God getting the best of your resources or the leftovers? Are you giving the best of your time to God's work? And maybe God's work through, you know, even Genesis Church. Are you putting serving yourself ahead of serving God. You know, again, in just a few weeks, we're adding a, a Sunday night service uh, here in Noblesville, and, and I think it's exciting. And even this past week, I had the opportunity to talk with several who were just telling me stories about why they're excited about it. I, one person said, you know, I'm so excited. It's, it's going to work for my husband's work schedule for him to be there on Sunday nights. And, and another person that said, I, I've got a friend that I've been wanting to bring, but Sunday mornings doesn't work. 
I was talking to somebody this past week who has a chronic illness, and she just explained, hey, i got to be honest, I can't get going in the morning, but usually in the evening I'm much better. I'm really excited about attending the Sunday night service. And, and for others with kids who maybe play sports all on the weekends or you know, for families that are traveling on the weekends but back in town by Sunday afternoon, uh, maybe just even people who'd like to take Sunday mornings off, you know, we're excited about this new opportunity to reach people on Sunday nights, and we're excited because that it's going to provide more seats and, again, more opportunities to help people find their way back to God, but I've got to tell you and be honest, for some, it could be seen as an inconvenience. I'm, I'm not going to lie. Uh, Sunday mornings is a very busy day. It's a very tiring day, and for many of you that serve and you work really hard, you know what it means to go home and to collapse on the couch, and so Sunday nights is going to present a whole new set of challenges but when you remember that it's about helping people find their way back to God and it's about making His name famous on the earth, well, then that changes everything. And so adding a Sunday night service is going to mean more opportunities to serve. And for those of you that are already serving on Sunday mornings, but maybe you're considering making the shift to Sunday night, well, that means that it's going to open up more opportunities on Sunday mornings too. And so again, I want to challenge you and I want to ask you is where are you serving right now? Have you taken a place on the team? Um, are you practicing God's priorities right now and what it means to serve in your church? And, you know, would you be willing to give an hour a week or an hour or two or a few hours a month, whether that be on Sunday morning or Sunday night? And I'll add this, if you're new and if you're just checking out Genesis uh, for the first time, we want you to take as much time as you need in getting to know this place. But if Genesis is your church and you would say you're in, but you're not serving somewhere, I've got to tell you that you're missing out on one of the greatest things that's happening in this world right now. And there is nothing, because there is nothing that compares to proclaiming the name of Jesus Christ. And He is changing lives all over this place and all over this world, and I believe that He is ready to do even more through this church because we are here to bring the presence of God and His message to this community as His modern-day temple builders. And, and I... I just got to close with this, you know, even just to help you see what God is teaching me in this area. You know, I was uh, in my office just a couple of weeks ago. Well, it's, it's been a month now probably. And a young man stopped by, a young guy that I had never met before, and he just graduated from high school. And he asked, he said, hey, could I, could I take some time with you? And so he came in and sat down, and we got to talking for a little bit. And so I finally got to the question, and it's like, well, what do you want to talk about today? And in that moment, I could just immediately see the emotion in his face, and uh, I, I just kind of sort of said to him, I said, well, um, can I ask you, do you have a relationship with Jesus? And, and there was just this uncertainty, and I don't know, and he went back to tell me a story about how he came during our marriage series as an unmarried young man, but really went back to that one message that if Jesus Christ is going to be at the center of your marriage, he's got to be at the center of your life first, and those were finally the words that you said, I Jesus isn't at the center of my life. Well, my heart's pounding at this moment. I mean, like he just walks into your office and you get this opportunity. And, and so I shared some scripture with him and we finally got to a place and I just said, you know, hey man, have you, have you ever invited Jesus to be your Lord and Savior? And he said, no. And I'm like, why don't we do this thing right now? And uh, he's like, sure. And, and so we prayed together and it was just an awesome experience for me personally to be with him in that moment and even to see this instant change in him 
And now that I have this opportunity to get to know him over coffee and this opportunity to disciple him, and I'm a, I get to baptize him this week, I'm not telling you that so that you give me, you know, these bonus points or whatever. I'm just telling you how God is using that one experience in my life to grow my heart at the possibilities of what he could do through me and my family and even this church. I want you to know, and I know that many of you do already, to share this passion of what it means to be this modern-day temple builder. The, the church is God's strategy for reaching this world, and you're a part of that, and I'm a part of that. And God wants to use people like you and me, people who practice His presence and practice godly prayer and practice His priorities to change lives. Let's pray.